It's a great day in the Lord. Amen. Turn to John chapter 4. We're going to talk about a father's faith. A father's faith. John chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 43 through 54. You know, I believe we need a move of God to restore fathers to their, their rightful, ordained places in the family. The devil is wreaking havoc in the family and, and destroying families. But we need fathers to rise up and to walk in the truths from the Word of God and righteousness. And that obviously comes as the Spirit moves, but we partner with Him. We cooperate with Him. We need that to happen. I believe God is looking for men, fathers of faith, to believe God and to walk according to His Word. I believe God is doing that. Now, Ezekiel 22 talks about that He looks for one man to stand in the gap, and that can be a, a lady also. But someone is standing in the gap so that He will not have the poorest wrath on upon the city, but he couldn't find anybody. He looks for one person. Remember the influence and in intercession. I've been reflecting upon intercession. It is a mystery how we can pray, and at a distance, things change according to the will and plan of God. But intercession is so powerful. Your prayers before the throne of grace is so powerful, the enemy will do anything to keep you from getting on your knees. He will get you busy with good things that are not bad things. You're not necessarily in that sense sinning, but he will get you busy. He gets you active, and, and he comes and, and starts bombarding your mind, which is the battleground, with all these things when you sit down to pray. Resist him. Take those thoughts captive and say, no, I'm praying. I'm going to pray for this. And I want to just say right now that God is saying he wants to strengthen your faith. Because a lot of times we go through the battles and we're weary, we're tired. And God is saying there is coming a breakthrough for your life today. He's coming with that breakthrough. But we must not detour from what God has for us. And he's looking for men to do that, to give leadership in this particular way. And I believe, obviously, when I speak of this today in the Word of God, is this is a message for everybody, not just fathers, but certainly fathers, because there is a hierarchy of authority in what God has ordained, okay? And authority to the Lord is very important. Not only do we have authority, God, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me under heaven and earth, and he delegates that authority. We have authority. We do not have to tolerate Satan coming and doing certain things, and we need to take authority. We need to just say, I have authority. Jesus, give me authority. And get out of here, Satan. I don't want any more. Get out. I want God in my life. And so you have that authority. But there's also the, that echelon, that structure that's there. And the, the husband, the father, is the head of the family. just works that way. But the Bible also says that sometimes us men, we think, well, yes, that's true and all. It's not a dictatorship because when the two are working together in the way God has ordained it, I want to tell you it's a powerhouse between the wife and the father and mother and father and so forth. And obviously the Bible says in Ephesians that men are to love their wives as Jesus loves the church. 
So, you know, don't gloat about the fact that you're an authority in the family too much. You need to love your life, your wife, the way Jesus loves the church. And that he sets the bar real high. But he never tells us to do something that he doesn't give us the power to do. Always. Always. When, he, when the Word of God gives you something, it's not there for you to say, well, there's no way this can happen. Yes, no way apart from the power of God. Okay. This is a father's faith. Let's read it. Verse 43. After the two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And then when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all the things he had did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they had also gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water into wine, and there was a certain noble man. Now, he was a rich man. And there was a, uh, and whose son was sick in Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him pleading that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Jesus said to them, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your son lives. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And while he was going down, his servant met him. Servants met him and told him, Your son lives. And when he inquired of them the hour when he began to heal, they answered, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. And then the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. So he and his whole household believed happened to to Cornelius also right but he and his whole household believed so when we see this it's so important to understand the influence that we have here obviously I love stories with a happy ending and uh, this is one a dying boy is healed and a father commits his life to Christ and then his whole household comes to the Lord they become believers and this is what Jesus can do in people's lives if we allow him. Jesus took this man from tragedy to triumph, from a crisis to a victory. Now, many of us are obviously are here parents, and, and nothing touches us like the pain of one of our children. And Allison had uh, teeth that came in the wrong way when she was younger, real younger, and our daughter, Cindy's and our daughter. And uh, I remember we were in the dentist's office there, and uh, they were trying to get them where they could brace up to where they could get the teeth where it would grow out in the right way. And it was very painful, and we saw it. And, of course, they get an overcane and so forth. But it was still, it was hard. And then, of course, our grandson, Rex, that he was, he was a cleft baby, lip and palate, and, and all. We were joyful that Allison and Jeremy, they finally got uh, pregnant and all. And then we see there on uh, the uh, ultrasound that um, he's cleft. Well, I know being hospice all the years, I know what that could mean, possibly. And uh, we found out, no, there's nothing as far as mentally wrong with him. He just has a cleft lip and lap palate. Well, not too shortly after he was born, he had the surgery for the lip, pulled it up. And, you know, that was great. They can do miracles nowadays. And then about a year later, a little bit more than a year later, they went in and put the palate in. Well, he was in pain at times during that time. And, of course, you know, Cindy was there kind of helping to take over, and it pained us to see our children. And so you think about it here. This particular father has a son, 
and he knows he's getting ready to die. And so what would happen in your heart if you had somebody, you know, a child or a grandchild or even a friend or whatever that you knew they were just getting ready to die? What, what, what type of response would you have? And you'd heard about this man, Jesus, and he was walking around the countryside and he was loving people like they'd never seen love given like that. And he was healing all these people. What would you do? I'll tell you what I'd do. I'd go find Jesus. And this is what he did. He went and found Jesus. But when this man came, the first point I want to make was is that he came with feeble faith. You know, we come to Jesus and we don't know whether we have a lot of strong faith or, or what. We don't. But what happens with, with this man when he comes? He comes with feeble faith. He's seen Jesus healed. He's a royal official. And so he's got a lot of money, and he's tried every avenue as far as that his son would be uh, brought back to health and all. Nothing was work, working. You know, money can buy a lot of things, but it may not be able to buy, obviously it can't buy the power to heal. Ultimately, that is God Almighty. And so this man was looking and, and saying, I've got to have help here. So he was desperate for an answer. He was desperate, wasn't he? And I believe, obviously, like most of us here, we care more for our kids and our grandkids and our family than we do ourselves. And because of his trouble, he turns to Jesus, obviously. I believe that many of us, maybe in here today, initially came to Jesus because, obviously, we needed help. Something was going on. You know, we didn't just sort of say, this is a good sunny day, and I'm all of a sudden going to come to Jesus. No, more than likely that we came to Jesus because we needed some type of help. And we run to him now, don't we? We come to Jesus because he is, he has the answer. he is the answer here. And this man's faith is feeble because it's based on a very little personal commitment to the Lord here. He just wanted something from God. And God's saying, okay, all right, I'm going to show you. And I want to show you how this winds up here. Because I believe that when we come with feeble faith, that God will meet us right where we are. Are we great theologians? Are we some type of pious Christians and here we come into it? No. We come like little children. And yet God accepts us this way. And he accepted this man in that particular way. He really probably did not have necessarily a belief system. He had never probably maybe been talk, talked about Jesus personally and so forth, but he saw that Jesus was doing something that he needed. And I'm so glad today we see things happening, miracles. One way or another, we can t make one of two choices. We can decide to draw closer to God as, as a result of that, or we can wander and, and walk away from him. And we obviously need to find out just how sufficient that Jesus is for every need that we have. And he certainly is. Verse 47 says, When the man heard that Jesus had come. And the Bible says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so good. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And I've talked about in the last few weeks about remembering what God has done. Because the Israelites forgot what he did and actually wandered away, and they began to fall in unbelief. Look back at what God has done in your life. Look what God has done, how he's brought even this country 
the United States of America, as far as it has, even as imperfect, obviously, that this country is, even as imperfect as we are, and we know our faults and our weakness and so forth, is God is saying, remember what I've done. I've done great things if you'll look back. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. We know that song we sing, certainly. So this man had a desperate need. So he goes to Jesus for help. And we see here he comes uh, with a preconceived idea of how Jesus should solve his problems. He said, come on to my house. He's over here. And so, you know, sometimes we have a preconceived idea or notion of how God is going to do it. But Jesus said, go to your house. He's healed. Just go. It's, it's taken care of. And yet, sometimes we say that. I believe in laying on of hands, okay? I do that, and that's why we stop that. But I do believe in the power of intercession as God's people pray. Can't you all say in this place today, the many prayers that have been answered as a result of the people at Lighthouse Fellowship that have prayed for particular things, and we've seen it happen, haven't we? You need your faith stirred as a result of that. You've got to remember what God has done through intercessory. And you may not have ever met that person, or you may not have ever visited that person, or whatever it may have been, but you may have mentioned them in your prayers, and you've seen God heal them, or, or supply a particular need, or whatever it is. Don't forget. Don't forget the benefits of our God, certainly. Obviously, here this man is, he's coming to Jesus with a broken heart. So what does Jesus do? Does he tenderly turn to him and put his arm around his shoulder and say, I'm so glad you came. You, you've come a long ways here and, and you'll not be disappointed. Does Jesus seize the moment and lead him in a sinner's prayer? No, he doesn't at all. Jesus turns on his heel and says this, and listen. He says, you people, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll not believe. Now, we see here, he's talking to the whole crowd there. And, and a lot of the people that were there for a sideshow. They were there for a sensational type of thing. We were seeing miracles and so forth. And some people are there for that today also in the church and so forth. And they come with some type of faith, maybe feeble faith. And, and, and yet Jesus is saying, you need to come to me. Yes, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to help you. But come to me in that. And so probably the, the crowd thinned out at this particular time. But this man didn't leave, did he? He did not leave. He was persistent. He said, I'm not giving up. I'm going to stick and hang in there no matter how, how bad I felt. Maybe somehow, no, well, maybe I, I need my son healed and all this other stuff and so forth. That, that'll have to take its place in the rightful place. But I want my son healed. And he didn't walk away. The, what this, I'm going to stress the point here. It's so important to be persistent in prayer. Don't give up. Do not stop praying because you have not seen an answer that comes immediately. You keep on praying until God tells you to pray another way. I pray until I see God heal. I do not, unless God says stop healing, and I've not heard that. Or stop praying, and I've not heard that. And so, we are to be persistent. You remember the story of the Canaanite woman and, and the crumbs that fell on the floor? Remember? She comes up there. That's pretty humiliating in that. And yet Jesus answered her and, and answered her prayer. Remember there the persistence of the man kept knocking for the loaf of bread and the neighbor was asleep 
and all, and he kept on knocking. He kept on. Persistence is so important because what happens in that persistence is our hearts get changed, and then God will change things as a result. But it's that relationship that he wants. And so in that persistence, that relationship is actually built up here. Now, Jesus had called this man to higher ground, and he rises to the occasion because he was desperate. And that desperation keeps him there. And he had that small amount of faith that was there, but Jesus saw something in his heart. He saw a potential that that man's faith would grow. And that's what he sees in people who come to him. And he knows our motives and so forth. I don't always know if my motives are pure. And to be honest with you, my prayer is, Lord, please bless my pure motives and then forgive me of my impure motives, please, Lord. That's my prayer. Because I don't know my motives when I come to Jesus. I don't know my motives when I do this and that. And I don't get stuck on that. But I ask God to bless the pure motives and obviously forgive me of my impure motives. But it is a matter of hanging in there because God wants to answer the prayer even more than you want it answered. He wants to show himself strong and mighty. He loves people in that way. He blesses people in that way. So don't give up here. This man did not give up here as he obviously was moved from feeble faith to a firm faith. He began. He says, Jesus said, you may go. Your son will live. And these words are filled with love and they're filled with compassion. And this man takes Jesus at his word here. When Jesus speaks to our hearts, we've got to hear him. We must take him at his word. And we've got to embrace what's called, I've used the word rima, here in the past. It's a revelation of the Word. It's like when you look at the Scriptures and you've read it all your life and you read it one more time and it's like it jumps off the page at you. It's like, wow, this is for me. That is actually the Rema Word of God. And so when you read it in God's obviously sovereignty, the Spirit of God will illumine certain Scripture to you. And I believe it moves from the Logos part of the Word to the Rema Word. It's like it's real personal. And so this man had received a personal word from the Lord, a rhema word uh, of, of the word of God, revelation there. And he's going, okay, uh, you know, he started getting stronger in his faith. He didn't give up. He continued on. I believe that a lot of people will, in their walk with Jesus, will somehow, they'll walk along and they'll give up, maybe sometimes right before their breakthrough. Maybe God is building something in our lives and it's through trials. Maybe it's something that, that we never thought would happen in our life. And yet, sometimes we just give up right before God does something so powerful. You see, he's, he's, he's working in our lives. He's growing. You see, he's looking for maturity. He's looking for people who are walking in maturity with him. In the end times, and we, I believe we could be very well in the last days of the last days, that we're going to need to walk in maturity. We're going to be able to, we need to walk in that. We're going to have to grow up in, in Jesus because things will get tough. There will be persecution. I believe that. Jesus said that you'll be persecution, persecuted for his sake, obviously. And we know that. So we've got to grow up. This man got stronger here. Maybe he was praying through. You ever heard the term praying through? You pray until you get a breakthrough. You pray until, until something you see happens there. God will reward that if you stay on your knees there. So this man's faith is no longer feeble. It's actually firm. And then what happens? 
His whole family is led to, the, to uh, a salvation experience there. Obviously, when they went back, verse 51, his first question was, is when did the boy start getting better? Um, he didn't start just getting better. He was instantly healed. The fever left him on the seventh hour, and he re was reminded that that was the exact moment that Jesus gave the word there. See the progress of this man's faith, a father's faith, the influence there. His whole family got saved. His whole family was brought into the kingdom of God. And so, obviously, uh, it's so important to realize not to give up. Don't give up when you pray, and maybe God doesn't answer your prayer right at that particular time. Continue to come to Him. He'll shift the focus around if you'll stay in His presence, if you'll continue to ask Him, to seek Him, to look to Him, to have faith in Him. Faith moves the heart of God. Believe in Him. You know what I did? I was mentioning here this couple, last couple of weeks. I said, what do you do when you first get up in the morning? And what I do is I declare over this day that this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. And so I've already started a day saying, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. And the Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It doesn't mean my circumstances will always be good. But I've made a declaration over my day. I pray over the family I pray over my situations, and I declare certain things according to the Word of God. Make that declaration when you get up in the morning. Start out your day like that, because if not, obviously your mind is going to be bombarded with either the good things or the bad things. Make it the good things. So we see here that uh, the miracle was no coincidence. This boy's fever broke at the exact time Jesus spoke to his healing. Our miracles, our healings are not a coincidence. They're exactly, perfectly on t God's timing. And I believe so much in that as we, we continue to look to the Lord for these things that we know. Father's influence, parents' influence, your influence in society is greater than what you would ever realize. And fathers have that powerful influence and responsibility to families to impart their faith into their hearts. I'll close with this. I want to turn over to 1 Timothy. This is something I've heard recently. I thought it was it struck me um, powerfully. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And it's verses 15 through 20. And I'll, go, I'll actually go on down about 18. This command I commit to you, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies that were previously given to you, that by them you might fight a good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected, and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. He's saying a lot about fighting the good fight of faith. You remember, and, and I recall, that I've spoken of faith as something you have to fight for every day. Because you're in a battle, and I'm in a battle. 
It is a war that's going on. And you have the fight, the good fight of faith. But you don't just automatically step into your highest potential. Okay, I'll say it again. You don't just automatically step into your potential. There is a struggle that goes on. And what God does is allow certain things in our lives to happen. Obviously, the things that are of the devil, we need to obviously speak and we need to fight against it and so forth. But he allows certain things to happen, even in that. And that is to make us more like Jesus. But the promises of God, which there are many, they will not be experienced unless I am faithful to the Word of God. They're not always automatic. Now, some uh, promises are unconditional, but some are conditional. Usually there's a fight. There's a time for fighting the fight spiritually, and then there's a time to rest. There are two their times that we, we go through in our Christian life. So maybe God has spoken to you. Maybe there's a promise that's been on your heart since you were maybe a, just really much, much, much younger. And you wonder, they haven't come about. Keep striving that these promises will come forth. I believe that conflict builds strength, character, resolve. It builds integrity, and it builds maturity. God has to have integrity back in his, his children's lives, okay? You all know integrity and character and all those things are words that our society does not use today. And when you turn on the tube, you won't see integrity or character. You see people that will go any which way that the public opinion of them are going or any which way the wind blows. They'll go that way and that way. God has to have his children who are solidly footed or, or stand upon the word of God to where character can be built. And many times character is only built when there is conflict in your life. I don't like that way personally. God knows that. But I'm saying no matter what I like or don't like, and the struggle is, this is the way God has ordained it. It is through conflict. It is through tension. It is through adversity that takes place that we build character. We've got to live the word and believe God. And this will attract conflict. When you start living the word of God and you start believing the word of God, you will attract conflict. Trust me. The devil doesn't want it because a lot of error out there is being taught today simply to try to tickle men's ears. And God said, the power of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for this is the power and the salvation for all who will believe in him. It is power in the gospel, in the word of God. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 talks about that the mind is the battlefield. If I constantly, consistently believe a lie, then we make an agreement with the enemy. When you believe a lie and when I believe a lie, we make an agreement with the enemy. In other words, when the enemy comes along and says, you're no good, you are ugly, you'll never make it, you know you caused all this and that and so forth when you consistently believe that because that's not, that's not the truth. That's not the way God sees you or sees the situation. But if you believe it, you begin to make an agreement with the enemy. You need to repent 
and turn to the Lord and say, no, this is what your word says about me. Because repentance provokes a change of thought. We need to be so anchored in God's word that nothing else is appealing. Don't you want to be like that? Don't you want to just know God in that way? Declare the word of God over your life and family. Daniel said, God, you said. He's not reminding God of what he said in that way, but he tells it and speaks it that way. And remember this, God is right there fighting with you, and it's building something in your life that can only be built as you go through some of those struggles. I'll read this in closing. I believe that Christians need to have one thing on the mind. And this is my verse that I've had for many, many years that I believe. And I said, what I want. This is my goal. This is my movement. I don't know what the word would be, but this is what I want. Here's the one thing. This is from the Passion Bible. So it's real um, in that sense, I guess, verbatim-like. Here's the one thing I crave from God. This is Psalm 27, verse 4. Here's the one thing I crave from God. The one thing I seek above all else. I want the privilege of living with him every moment in his house, finding the sweet loveliness of his face, filled with awe, delighting in his glory and grace. And I want to live my life so close to him that he takes pleasure in my every prayer. I want to dwell with God in that way. The psalmist was David. And he penned this saying, I want to know God in that way more than anything else in this world. We're presently going through a particular segment on Wednesday night of, of uh, some teaching on the Song of Solomon, the Song of Songs. And I've always loved that because in the Song of Songs, you have the, the natural, which is the relationship between uh, Solomon and, and a woman, and it's, it's beautiful. But the spiritual translation of it is very intimate, very intimate. I want to live so close to Jesus. I want to be so entwined in his word that nothing else appeals to me. And I'll be able to live life, certainly. I'm not going to become a monk. But what it means, I want to walk with him daily. I want to dwell with him. And the NIV version says, I want to gaze at his beauty every day, all the days of my life. That's all I have. I have one thing, one desire in my life, one priority. How about you? What's your priority? You believe and take God at his word? Or do you maybe sometimes wrestle with it? Maybe sometimes you, you uh, it's kind of like the... Uh, when Jesus was preaching in his hometown, we, we talked about this. And he was speaking the word of God. I believe it was in the synagogue. And, and the people started saying, isn't this Joseph's son? And isn't this Mary's son? I mean, isn't he the carpenter? I mean, listen to what he's saying. And they took offense at him. And remember what the, the word on down said. He couldn't do many miracles, even in his own hometown, because of their unbelief. In other words, when you begin to question the Word of God, and you don't take it, and, and, and mull on it, and meditate on it, and believe it for what it says, then what happens, power leaves you. And you leave yourself open to deception and unbelief. 
Believe the Word of God. Take it. I want to tell you, I was looking through the Word the other night, and I was looking at different things and all that. I was like, oh, man, I like this. And I turned a little bit further. I like this. Oh, God. Well, oh, how about, let me, give me time. Let me read this. Look at this. Look at this. Open the Word and watch what happens in your life. It's like, oh, my, this is good here. This is good. Man, this is good stuff here. Just open it. Be a miracle that God does it because I'm going to tell you today, God's people have got to be grounded in the Word of God. We live in a season where all types of things, the Bible says that in the end times that even the elect would be deceived unless God stayed their hand. We need to be grounded. We need to know that intimacy with, that, with the person of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, your truth. Thank you for your presence. We worship you. I want to gaze upon you. One desire we have, one thing I ask, this is what we seek. Love you, seek you, dwell with you. Pray these things today and blessings upon this congregation. In the name of Jesus, amen.